Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Joe Matthew, I've come to bargain. And joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Nor Matthew. Let's bargain. And joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Nor Matthew. I seek a bargain. <sighs> and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Oh, Nor Matthew. Now that we've bargained here, the pop culture podcast by Fantastic Geek for Doctor Strange, the 14th entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is brought to you by Carmitage Tea. No psilocybin, just tea with a little honey. Pete, before we jump in, uh, we have some some box office news to share about Doctor Strange. The Hollywood Reporter reporting about Hollywood, as it often does, uh, that uh, Doctor Strange has opened to a spellbinding, in their word, words, $85 million in the United States with $325 million globally. Pete, this surpassed everyone's expectations, both domestically and abroad. Only this movie could be the 14th entry. And, and by that, I mean this was considered a risk had Marvel not built up the equity over the last eight years to be able to make such an unusual entry into this uh, film universe um, and needing to go out to get their most bona fide star at the time of his casting to the point where uh, negotiations actually stretched out three months with Benedict Cumberbatch, and he was given uh, points on the worldwide release. But uh, it all paid out. It all uh, worked out in the end here, and uh, surprise, surprise, Marvel has itself another runaway hit. Yeah, in fact, I saw a stat, I think it was on Hollywood Reporter, uh, talking about the cinema score um, numbers that that company, cinema score, has come up with. It was something like, 60% of the audience was there for a Marvel movie, and 31% of the audience was there for a Benedict Cumberbatch movie. So it seems like a match made in heaven if you could do a Marvel movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. That's how you get to $85 million. That each of us went with our wives and not just with one another shows you how they've opened up that audience. And I guarantee there will be people sticking around. Uh, to check out the forthcoming entries into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not that our wives aren't unfamiliar with that stuff, but they haven't seen all, you know, 13 of the movies leading up to this. So it's another way to bring new fannies to the seats. When we catch you up on what went down, Matt will begin with the Caecilius page theft here in the opening. Pete, never has stealing from the library been as exciting as it is here. And just as a complete personal and side note, the name Caecilius made me think of the one year I took high school Latin and part of the book was about uh, Caecilius and the, it ended with Caecilius est mort, Caecilius est mort. Ironic that Caecilius in this movie ends up pretty mort as well, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Mads Mikkelsen here uh, between this, between Star Wars uh, Rogue One uh, in about uh, six weeks, uh, might wind up being in two of the uh, highest-grossing films of the year in a fairly important role in each. 
he's having a good fall. He is indeed. And to stick him in this scene with his disciples and to have, um, you know, the ancient one played by Tilda Swinton, give chase and, uh, you know, beat them around yet ultimately come up short. That's exactly what we need as the uh, prologue here. Given that what follows the prologue, um, the introduction of Strange that we'll get to in due course, given that they spend a whole chunk of time where it's not a comic book movie, uh, which is befitting, they want to ground these characters, um, it, 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 it's all the more reason why there is this big, not just mysterious, but kind of action-packed, effects-driven prologue here, because if you're, if you're showing up for the trippy effects... You get them up front and, you know, now that you've had your dessert, you have to have your peas and carrots with, you know, well-timed story exposition to introduce us to the characters as they were before comic book adventures occurred and things of that sort. So um, are you implying, Matt, that uh, if the audience showed up and then was treated to a 10 minute ER Grey's Anatomy esque (laughs) sequence that they would somehow uh you know get wandering eyes i think it's more than 10 minutes and and that's not to say i mean look nothing against Grey's anatomy i've seen a number of episodes it's great soapy fun but um i think it's maybe closer to 20 minutes before before we're talking not just kind of like mystic talk but like you know legit like comic book special effects superpower magic power type stuff so 20 25 minutes um uh, to answer your question, yes, I think you would have had a slightly restless audience if you just started with a day in surgery where he's figured out what dumb doctor can't figure out, that this man is not dead. Or pardon me, that this man is not dead. I am from New York. Well, the car crash surely would have uh, jolted them out of whatever malaise they may have wound up in. But here, Matt, we have Strange at the beginning of the movie, having been name checked once more, once before, I should say, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, where Agent Sitwell has uh, mentioned him by name. Yeah, Bruce Banner, Stephen Strange, anyone who is a threat to Hydra, um, which that Pete, that's a thread we're going to pick up on in a little in a little while exactly the timeline of this movie but but back to that er pete another day at rainy gray's anatomy hospital <laughs> and uh with with strange here as as the talented but egotistical protagonist slightly evocative of uh, a tony stark and i know there's been uh in a lot of corners comparison to the original Iron Man as far as this film. Yeah, Pete, there's been some discussion online, and I think it's a good uh, a good possible pr- prediction that down the line, if and when Robert Downey Jr. leaves the role of Tony Stark, um, that you might have Stephen Strange, not Cumberbatch, mind you, but Stephen Strange play the role that Stark plays in the Avengers universe, which is to say, uh, you know, kind of that, snarky talented but egotistical uh hero who's who's you know kind of the 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 slightly above it all leader uh again not suggesting cumberbatch will play tony stark but rather that dr strange will take the role that tony stark plays uh amongst the avengers and whatnot 
But Pete, that's far in the future, and we don't have that time thingy quite yet. So uh, back to this movie, and uh, Doctor Strange uh, might not have a, a future as a doctor after that car crash. No, which of course leads him to question, uh, to look into other means of healing, Matt, which ultimately head us in the direction of Katmandu once he meets uh, Benjamin uh, Bratt's character, who has uh, strangely learned to use his legs again with some spiritual mysticism. Being less familiar with this character than a number of the other ones that have been turned into movies, I I thought it was a really compelling arc that they put strange on in terms of uh he's gone through all these medical answers and that hasn't worked and then to make his way to nepal uh by way of uh this kind of uh last ditch effort which by the way pete i I had to turn to my wife during the movie my wife who who works in the medical field when uh when that one physical therapist sent dr strange the uh all the files on there i'm sure that's a hipaa violation just want to point that out there maybe in the marvel cinematic (laughs) universe they they don't have hipaa and you might say you would say, oh, but he's a doctor. Yeah. It, it, they have a different president. So, you know, come on. I mean, that's true. President Matthew Ellis took down that government, that government bear that was that was the HIPAA Act protecting people and all their stuff. Yeah. Ellis care is dramatically different than the Obamacare. <laughs> but we digress. Uh, so um, I thought it was impressive that the production went to Nepal. Um, there was just there was a realism to it that that um that really came across in the screen and uh that's when of course we meet uh the ancient one and mordo and and wang uh just on nepal really quickly um cumberbatch is somewhat of a of a mystical seeker himself he's spent quite a bit of time in that part of the world so it was really something he was passionate about doing matt it should be pointed out that and having mentioned the ancient one here we could get into uh, a little bit of the controversy with that character uh there's a reason tibet doesn't come up in this film Ooh, well let's start with the ancient one first and then we'll go to uh we'll go to some of the naming in a second although i think People who can keep an eye towards politics could probably figure out uh, what you just referred to, Pete. But regarding the Ancient One, originally an Asian male character, if I have that correctly, and here obviously a Caucasian female. So trade out gender, you know, a, a gender a gender switch, thumbs up, race switch, kind of quote unquote back to a Caucasian character. Uh, certainly a controversial move there. I mean, there were charges of whitewashing and kind of interesting that Matt Damon's video game uh, Great Wall of China movie was previewed before the particular show we went to. I don't know, Matt, if if that happened with you guys, but um, I bought the character of the Ancient One as presented later when they mentioned that she was Celtic. Um, and particularly with some of the design elements, it all worked for me. And she was the character, other than Strange, that I cared about the most in this film. Yeah, I think in in a vacuum of of discarding the knowledge of the character's change, I mean, she Tilda Swinton is obviously an incredible actress, and um, and you know, just just this otherworldly presence on screen, so. In that kind of vacuum, she's fantastic. I mean, you could buy that she has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You can buy all of that. 
it i mean there's kind of no way around that they took out an asian you know a character that could have been prominent and flawed and well-rounded and asian um they took away that last part um I don't know if it would, I mean, do you want to call it whitewashing? Do you want to call it no, no eye towards race at all? Just because she's that great an actress. It's, it's a tough role, particularly there's a reason why that Matt Damon movie um, was previewed before this and not just because they want people to go see it. And this is going to be a big movie. That movie, I believe is the first um, true 50, 50 partnership between a Hollywood studio and a, and a, a Chinese studio. So this look towards, quite frankly, you know, ha- having having Asian characters be more than the throwaway Asian character, i.e., in uh, Age of Ultron. That's where things are headed to be more global with these global properties. So, I don't know. Like you said, Pete, just looking at just looking at it within the movie as presented, she certainly was fantastic. If you take Swinton out. Um, and you know we've we've changed it back to the original comic book origin of a, of an Asian male. We've got a serious issue as far as balance in this film with one other prominent female character who does not pass the Bechdel test. So I think it's important that uh, she plays this role. I completely bought her in the role. She brings uh, a humanity and and a lack of arrogance that uh, counters very nicely with what Cumberbatch brings. And uh, pretty quickly as well, we get introduced to uh, Mordell, who's played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. And uh, I mean, he he's just a, a wonderful presence on screen as well. <laughs> Pete, ironic that they, they went and got all these British actors and then asked Benedict Cumberbatch to not do his British accent. And to my ear, to my ear, he was doing what, very very good and he's a great actor don't get me wrong but a very very good british person doing american accent is what he was doing where you know i think you and i pete speak with with for the most part probably 95 percent the the non-regional dialect that he was going for but there's always that five percent where it's like listen to me i am from new york and it's just a little different and frankly it kind of bugged me the whole movie um, I mentioned that to my wife, and she's like, well, maybe Doctor Strange was, yeah, as, as a doctor, not from what we saw in the movie here, maybe he was educated abroad. So he's kind of one of these people who's kind of come back and been like, yes, I loved, I love skiing in Stad, and also, you know, <laughs> did spend some time, did spend some time in London town. So I'll buy that for the character, as opposed to say, nobody at any point said, Benny, um, you got to work with the dialect person a little bit more because it sounds like you're not from, you know, you're not from Manhattan. Well, listen, you know, my wife lamented that he didn't speak with his normal British baritone, but this allows him to act. They went out and got him because of his ability to act, uh, his his massive built-in fan base, and give the guy something to chew on. He certainly chews on it here. And I mean, <laughs> you mentioned his massive fan base. If the cinema score numbers are to be are to be um, taken at their face value, at least at least in America, so the movie does almost ninety million dollars. Uh, Thirty percent of that 
is from people who went to see a Benedict Cumberbatch movie. So the guy, by virtue of showing up and being a great actor and obviously continuing to give a great performance in this, um, brings in 25 to $30 million without, without day one of having done a Marvel, you know, day one of the Marvel stuff in it. Okay, pretty good. Pretty good. And so you're right. Let the guy act. He'll be a fixture for some time as given the end of uh, credit scene with Edge of Four cements uh, Mordo, uh, the future Baron Mordo, uh, not just as a, a companion in this film uh, of Cumberbatch's Strange, but as a rising antagonist. And the fact that they are introducing Mordo in such a way, I know I read an interview with the, the writer of the film uh, who said, you know, it's kind of, it, it's tough to, it's tough to do all the things you need to do in the first movie in a series, you know, show the character origin, then show how they got to where they might need powers or be ready for powers, then how they got their power. It's tough to then have a bad guy who's equal to that. And the fact that the fact that with um, with Chiwetel Ejiofor's Mordo here, that it's built in next time, you know, kind of the, the the betrayal, the tragedy, it makes him a bigger bad guy for next time because of the work you do in this movie. It makes sense. It makes sense. And then Wong, of course, played by Benedict Wong, no relation to himself, <laughs> um, and no relation to Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, I thought just a, a great scene stealing role. Fantastic seeing uh, Benedict Wong in this movie. Uh, some people may know him from uh, playing Kublai Khan in uh, the Marco Polo show on Netflix. Um, and you know, perhaps also uh, Prometheus, The Martian, etc. A uh, fantastic uh, British actor and um, somebody else who's looped into these you know, multi-picture deals. So... Um, somebody who I believe also has a comedy background and for him to be playing this stoic role that is a lot of, a lot of the stoicism is then set up for him to kind of be, uh, be gently made fun of for the purposes of comedy. Um, he's an actor who's kind of predisposed to that in addition, of course, to all his dramatic work that he's done as well. So then it's a question of strange training now in this unusual setting and it, it's something that other than the the Cumberbatch choice of accent for the film has garnered some attention that there seem to be no markers. And granted, we're dealing with a character who by the end of the film with his abilities can bend time. But it seemed a rather quick montage of all of a sudden I'm reading Sanskrit and I have these powers. Um. Yeah, I think there's there's many things in this movie that for me, I kind of felt like there was an unseen center to this story, that the, the story as a whole never quite landed on that center by a little bit. I would call this movie a B++. Um, there aren't kind of obvious failings where, you know, we don't spend 17 minutes in Hawkeye's farmhouse and things of that sort. It's not, you know, ugh, this is an uncompelling uh, two-dimensional two villain as an Iron Man 2. Um, but there's things, there's things like that where if, if you want us to be starting in, in the past, as, as we'll discuss in a little, little while, and then, you know, and he studied for three years there to learn Sanskrit, to then read the thing, 
you could just show it. You could show it in montage. You could show the, the pages of the calendar going by, that sort of thing. And instead, they don't, and it's just slightly more muddy because of it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And to to look at the overall whole, and yes, you get to the the relics. You know, Mordo's got the the staff, and he's got the the magic boots. And then it's like, all right, well, what's gonna choose? Uh, strange. Of course, we know the the cloak of levitation is is coming, and he takes the uh, the eye of Agamotto there, and incorporating those. While these are mystical characters, they use physical things to gain powers from. Uh, there is also at this point in the story the the reveal of the three sanctums. Uh, all coincidentally, uh, that work out really, really well <laughs> for for movie going audiences. In, you get major, uh, you know, uh, markets. Matt, it's yeah. amazing that that you know the the mystical founding fathers were able to do that. Yes, you get you get New York for America. So even if you're like in the Midwest and kind of like it's always New York or Los hey, Angeles, New well, York. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you know, uh, you get London. So that that covers all of Europe. Um, and then you get you get Hong Kong, which gets you both kind of China and not China. So you kind of get that duality of you know they didn't choose they didn't choose communist Beijing, but they also didn't didn't go too far away. So good news, Pete. Uh, the the sanctums cover the entirety of humanity in North America, Europe, and Asia. That's all of humanity, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, the Northern Hemisphere, right? Yeah. And luckily, the shield of magic extends to South America and Africa and, you know, Australia and the, and the Pacific peoples. Right? Like... Because science, you know. <laughs> Mystical so, science. So, science magic. And we saw, the, we saw the glowy shield net extend from those three and then down to include those, you know, probably billions of people who live in that other part of the, you know. So again, I mean, joking aside, it was like, okay, I get that you you want to have three for a bunch of reasons, including, you know, kind of where you can end up in the different uh, spots for the movie and all that jazz, as well as um, want to give them what for in the Asian market. It, but it's just kind of like people of Africa, couldn't you have had a sanctum too? But I digress, Pete. And then, you know, you, you mentioned the, the communist uh, China aspect here. Tibet, that's the reason they're not brought in here. That's part of uh, the reality of trying to sell a film in a foreign market, a film that opened a week early uh, abroad than in the U.S. and got off to a really strong start. Yeah, in Nepal, Kathmandu in Nepal, the uh, the uh, official location of uh, of uh, where the ancient one calls home. So, um, yeah, again, it's kind of one of these. This movie did better than a lot in terms of um, taking a genuine approach to uh, what you might pessimistically call, what I just pessimistically called, you know, kind of getting your way into the Chinese market uh, and the Asian market. Um, this felt more organic than, say, Days of Future Past, where it's like, and we're going to have a fight at the Great Wall of China because Chinese co-financiers for 10% uh, fight, you know. So at least we had that. It's just, hey, get good news, everybody. Get ready for big international blockbusters to take place around the world. 
the film is really kind of serpentine at that point. We get a series of escalating conflicts. You know, the the London Sanctum falls. There's a fight in the New York Sanctum. And I think they kind of threw us for a loop with the advertising in a good way in that the final confrontation happens in Hong Kong in a way that's very evocative of the comic style of the original story. Yeah, though I felt that there was there was some magic, no pun intended, some magic ingredient that that was not present in this story to really kind of, you know, grab me as an audience member. And look, $85 million, clearly I'm I'm a bit in the minority. Uh A rating on cinema score, clearly I'm I'm in the minority, but there was kind of just some extra whatever, kind of that, you know, that Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark sparkle in his eye and Iron Man, that kind of thing. Um the 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 big action effect things the new york um twisty roo of all the streets and whatnot and particularly this backwards effect um showdown here uh in hong kong um, you mean the groundhog day resolution well even before that just the 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 fact that they were moving forward in time yeah. for us but people were moving back that was all really really great even if i wasn't like Oh my goodness, I love all these characters and I love every single thing that's going on. It was like, I really like what's going on, and this is an amazing, amazing action thing that also I've never seen before. This is not and then they fight in in Newspaper Square, where <laughs> where in fictional city there are also it's the crossroads of the city because it's actually Times Square, you know, like it was all great fun. And then Pete, as you mentioned, we get totally trippy in the land of no time in the dimension of no time with the groundhog day resolution. Yes. With Dormammu here and, uh, to see strange killed again and again and again and points for Matt not having the, the, the big, okay, strange and Cassilius are, are going to fight to the death here. And, you know, the, the old stock market graph of, conflict you know strange is gonna gonna get a blow in then Cassilius, then back and forth and back and forth and escalating and finally the good guy's gonna win no they they circumvent that interestingly enough with the 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 time loop here with dormammu it just seems slightly less than credible that you're gonna wear down death by repeating over and over again? Uh, interestingly, for a movie that I think you liked a little bit more than me, uh, I was I was great with this resolution here. The notion, it had been set up well in advance of this and not in an obvious um, Chekhov's Land of No Time versus Land of Time kind of thing. It had been set up that Dormammu is bringing these rules of timelessness or you know wants to bring them into, into our realm. Um, the notion then that, you know, and also we've seen, we've seen, uh, Dr. Strange do some of his time manipulation there with that, the great Apple scene that we thought was just a reveal of, oh, this thing does this thing now. Instead, it's also laying story track for the, for the climax. The fact that you could then reverse that and he's going to bring timeliness into a timeless place. I thought that was great. And then the pacing in which, and then he's killed off and then you kind of get the weird repeat and I'm like. Wait, that was okay. I'm pretty sure that was on purpose and not the projector being weird. And then they start to pick up the speed faster and faster of his his dying each time. 
And the fact that it's wearing Dormammu down into saying, you're not used to time loops, you're used to timelessness. I bought it. I know it's kind of wacky. It's kind of strange, small s, but I, I, I found it, I found it a really fun and compelling resolution. I mean, it's fun for certain. Uh, it's something different than we're used to. They're clearly previewing powers that are going to figure much, much larger in terms of character and story scope in the coming, uh, you know, Infinity War uh, films and, and with our, our existing core characters. But it, it just felt like, all right, we're, we're going to annoy death to the point where, OK, now let's make a deal. You take these guys that are uh, terrorizing our universe and I'll take my time back. Well, I, I think the word annoy is a bit soft. The notion that, I mean, how, whatever Dormammu's existence is in timelessness, you know, we, we can't quite conceive of that because we are temporal beings. But the fact that he too is trapped in this repeated thing that he is not used to, I... I, I I certainly found it uh, I found it compelling. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys, Matt. Of course, we begin with Master Caecilius. As with many a Marvel movie, is he the most compelling compelling villain? Where we say, "Oh boy, oh, n- n- never has there been anyone as evil as as him," you know, or his his motivations are just, uh, they're like the shark in Jaws. This is his nature. I certainly buy his argument that he, in his mind, he is the hero of, of a different story, that that time is going to get us all. Time, you know, we will all succumb to time, we will, to, to, to time. We will all be killed by time. And he wants to bring eternal life and timelessness. That's compelling. That kind of goes a little too fast for me. I would like, to, to, I would like to have understood that a little bit more beyond him just kind of saying it in the scene of, now you have me captured, so I'll talk, I'll talk, darn it. And but, understand him a little bit more. Yes, we're told twice that he came to Camertage. He was a broken man. He'd lost his family. Yet, I don't know, could we connect that to something? Could we understand a little bit more? Could we get a flashback? The, the motivation felt one note. And I get, too, that um, they're making an incredibly expensive movie, so they're looking to have as tight a script as possible so you're not filming stuff that gets cut. I understand, you know, this is um, almost two hours long, so it's probably right around the time that they wanted, knowing that, you know, like anything much over two hours, there's a certain segment of the audience that's going to get a little antsy. Pete, this is why I wish, and I'm going to reference three movies that I know you're not familiar with. This is why I wish more movies intentionally did, um, you know, extended editions a la the Lord of the Rings trilogy, because I would happily, I'd love for there to be a two hour and 45 minute version of this movie where we get 20 minutes of Caecilius and, and all of that, but we don't. And therefore the movie is a bit weaker um, for not having known him better. And by virtue of Dormammu being the larger looming threat, Caecilius taking up more of the screen time, really kind of more of a, uh, you know, servile character to this bigger threat that we only see in the one scene. 
Uh, agreed. I like that we do get one, if not two, visions of Dormammu um, ahead of that. Not that I would count that as the character being present. Uh, if anything, I thought the yellow eyes were, uh, were were Thanos references, so I was pleasantly surprised when, when we did indeed meet Dormammu. Um, kind of, again, it is... It's not the strongest part of the story, and uh, it kind of is what it is. But, Pete, we can certainly look ahead to the future Baron question mark Mordo. Yeah, to see him at the end there steal back the the power from Pangborn. That also, I, look, these 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 Marvel movies that that build on each other. You have a mere secret scene at the end in which it is made clear that your your brother in arms uh of mordo is now set up as the villain for the next doctor strange movie which comes out years from now that's going to be great years from now in the interim it's like well this isn't spider-man and this isn't guardians of the galaxy and this isn't uh, avengers so you know it was a little bit how i felt Really, really. I, I found it pretty compelling. I mean, people who know the character of Doctor Strange and when Mordo was cast in this with a bona fide like Chuatel Ejiofor, uh, people were like, oh, you know, that guy, he eventually becomes the, the bad guy. Is he going to sell him out in this movie and they're going to fight? I like that they, they save that twist for the end. They've they've established this rapport kind of fractured a little bit over their difference of uh opinion over the ancient one and setting it up for down the road and you know a far more compelling villain than Caecilius, uh who while he believes he's right we don't fully understand we understand mordo much more and since we're talking casting i mean worth mentioning uh Obviously, Chiwetel Ejiofor, an actor of uh, of color, and this was an intentional change uh, to to change the character from white to black, in part because they were aware of the changes that they made with the ancient one. Um, also, in the mix, the the uh, updating of the Wong character from kind of a a manservant to somebody of of more uh, more heft, both on the battlefield and also uh, you know academic heft here, the keeper of the library, and all of that. Um, I, Pete, I don't. I guess it's up to the audience to decide. Is the subtraction of the Asian nature of the ancient one is that negated or outdone by the the uh, race changes to Mordo and the kind of uh, more cultural appropriateness to Wong? I mean, at the end of the day, the movie's making money. I didn't see any picketers. Uh, I guess. I guess the net change is a positive one. Um, but uh, just wanted to throw that in there. I love the makeup of this cast and I think the way that the, the villains come across in a really effective way. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, let's begin with a couple of patients mentioned before Dr. Strange's life-changing accident. Yeah, reference is made to a colonel who's had a major spinal injury. Uh, people have taken this to be uh, a reference to uh, in Iron Man 2 where uh, Justin Hammer in Congress shows footage of uh, one of his uh, one of his soldiers in a in, in a you know attempt at an Iron Man suit and how it goes horribly wrong people have then further said oh that plugs the time hole there in terms of how quickly did Doctor Strange learn all these things uh, the pretty strong theory uh, being that 
much of this movie, the first you know third of this movie or whatever, takes place um, several years ago. But wait, Matt, didn't we have an Air Force colonel who was hurt during Captain America Civil War? Uh, we, I, I think reference was made to just that very thing indeed. So, you know, we have a character who, once he comes into his powers, can play around with time. And we've got a very nebulous beginning point as to where this might have happened. And again, we're believing that the law of time at um, Carmitage passes the same way it does for the rest of the Earth and even the universe. I think that that's a fair assumption. Now, if they're if they're playing some games with the time with the timeline um i mean look we've seen it on agents of shield where they say you know uh where they say you know then and now where we've seen luke cage back in the day versus now uh we've seen that on agents of shield too matt they've done back in the day oh they have done back in the they day did. They? they've uh for us the very same week wow <laughs> it's also timey wimey pete um i don't understand that uh, well, that's that's okay. Um, every time you say that, you make Donna sad. I just want you to keep that in mind. Hello, Donna. Thank you for listening. Um, yes. But bottom line is, let me put this way: if the intention was to just just to gloss by it, and people could figure out the tea leaves as they went, no pun intended. Um, well, then you just could have said five years ago, three three years ago, whatever. Um, it's compounded, however, Matt, with the third patient who was mentioned, the one that uh, Strange kind of keys in on, who uh, has a schizophrenia implant in her brain and has been struck by lightning, leading a lot of people to believe that this is Carol Danvers, the future Captain Marvel. Well, that her injury would not be a ton of fun, but that kind of early seating would be a lot of fun. Obviously, part of the function of these Marvel movies is not just their interconnectedness, but the ability to go back and, you know, look, Coulson needs to leave Thor because he's got to go here or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's something going on in New Mexico. So sorry, he leaves Iron Man 2 to go to Thor, that kind of thing. Um, to, to seed that stuff ahead of time, is is a great payoff i'll admit i had completely forgotten about the Sitwell reference to stephen strange until uh, until discussing it in the podcast here so if they're doing the same thing here with the the much anticipated captain marvel movie which hopefully we'll see by decades end um or heck we might even see in a couple years time i suppose if uh, if rumors are to be believed about the upcoming avengers movies but um that that's a smart way to be telling stories in the future in a movie that uses some time travel. Well, director Scott Derrickson has been mum on those theories. Pete, I think it's supposed to be ma'am as in ham. <laughs> but, uh, you know, how, how large do they, do they figure in? Should we read in? I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's a story, but it's something that, uh, you know, the more hardcore fans look for those connections. And, and let's just spend the briefest of moments here to talk about uh, director Scott Derrickson. Uh, you look at his resume, Pete, which of these movies is not like the other ones? Urban Legends, Final Cut, Hellraiser Inferno, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Sinister, Devil's Knot, Deliver Us from Evil, Sinister 2, <laughs> and Doctor Strange. 
to be fair, I also left out the day the earth stood still uh, right. from that list. But like a guy that's got some serious horror chops here. Um, yeah. And I think taking what he's used to and obviously being able to bring some of a, a stylistic carryover, but to make this more, you know, generally, uh, you know, viewed film uh, with that background, clearly a success. And, and I mean, look, it fits into uh, what Marvel Studios wants out of directors. This guy is 39 years old, so probably 36 or so when he starts working on it for pre-production. Experience under his belt, effects experience, but this is not somebody who's going to say, nope, nope, I refuse to come out of my trailer because we need to have real sand from the Sahara on the floor uh, so, so, that, so that that way we can genuinely feel that he's looking out the window to this magic thing that sends people to to the sahara desert and i won't come out you know it's just like dude go in there get your shots do some neat things make the actors feel comfortable for better or worse marvel studios are a production of marvel studios and kevin feige more than they are products of directorial uh, you know kind of uh, personal films here and um you know i mean again uh, to be honest i don't think i've seen any of his other movies i may have seen the Keanu reeves the day the earth stood still haven't seen any of these scary movies. Uh, the, the guy delivered a good, solid movie. Good movie. The decision to use a longtime Doctor Strange antagonist as the big bad here, Dormammu, uh, clearly understandable. But Matt, is there a larger connection uh, to Thanos? I'm going to say probably not. Now, it might there be passing reference to, to Thanos uh or, or will Thanos perhaps make reference to Dormammu? Um, possibly. I think that, that there's a place for that just to kind of really, really connect, better connect the connections here. But I'm kind of reading the story as Dormammu being a self-contained bad guy for this time. And then the, 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 reveal, that, um, the reveal that all along Doctor Strange has had one of the, uh, one of the Infinity Gems. To me, that's the real thing to propel us into the future and the the future involving Thanos. And it got a nice gasp from some of the audience members uh, when I saw the film. Right. I mean, we know the, shall we say, location identity of five of the six stones now. We know that Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet. He wants to fill it up. Uh, we know that he also is enamored of death. And there seems to be some checking in on that with Dormammu, but they might be going in a different direction, Matt, given that Kate Blanchett has been cast as Hela in Thor Ragnarok, obviously a film that touches on this one that Benedict Cumberbatch will return for. Yes, that one of the uh, one of the, the takeaways, uh, particularly as we move to the mid credit scene, Pete. Side note, we talk every movie about the people who don't know there's going to be secret <laughs> scenes. From where I was sitting in the theater, which was ba from, from front to back, I was just about in the middle. Heck, from left to right, I was just about in the middle, too, because I chose my own seats ahead of time. And, you know, I was very careful about that. But from all the people sitting in front of me, very few people left. Nobody got, got up in our show. We were at the local premiere. Um, you know, fewer seats, certainly. Uh, in this particular theater unit that we checked it out. But nobody got up, Matt. I, I was quite proud that uh, people picked up on that. They're, they're finally listening. But, 
yeah, that reveal that uh, not only is he talking to Thor, but he's got some business to do with Thor. I, in my spoiler-free existence, had no idea that we can now 100% expect, and if it's anything less than this, then they've let us down, but we can expect Doctor Strange to appear in at least some degree of Thor Ragnarok one year from now. They telecast it a little bit. Um, actually, they didn't telecast it. Uh, it. It came afterward in the credits, the the logo there that they had filmed in Australia. Um, but Cumberbatch never set foot in Australia because his scenes were filmed where he filmed them. And then um, Chris Hemsworth's scenes were filmed in Australia where they just wrapped principal photography on Thor Ragnarok. That is awesome. Um, not that that's any massive trick. I mean, you just, you know, take the blueprints of the set and you the build way the set it's shot. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, to have Taika Watiti shooting on the other end there. As is oftentimes the case with these uh, with these secret scenes. Right. Um, really loved, by the way, the the in camera gag of the the. Uh, the beer mug. I know some people said pint. That's not a pint, friends. No. That's like pint and a half or two pints right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But to have that refill in the camera. Oh you know. boy, yeah. Well, here's the thing, Matt. Who's really Doctor Strange's guest in that scene? Ooh, I I don't know what you're talking about, Pete. It's not Thor. Uh, he talks about um, coming to New York. With his brother Loki, they're looking for their father, Odin. Yeah. When did we last see Loki? What happened? We had the fake out death. Then Loki, of course, had replaced Odin. Ergo, that is not Thor, Matt. That is Loki. Oh, wow, Pete. That is a sneaky reveal here. Wow. Could that be? I guess that must be because... I was like, oh, good. He finds out that they're actually looking like he finds out that his father isn't his father. And so are we going to save that reveal for a secret scene? No, that's that's a vital story. So that that it's it's flipped in here um, again, you know, to to give you the the Hemsworth cameo, but to have it actually be uh, Hiddleston's character popping up the trickster god playing a trick. Ooh, I like that. Pete, how about uh, the fate there of uh, Mordo and how he's left Pangborn suddenly uh, suddenly back to paralysis there? Uh, an actor of Benjamin Bratt's stature to only appear in a couple scenes. You think we'll see more of Pangborn in the future? I don't think we're going to see more of him. You don't go out and get a Benjamin Bratt just to appear in you know the one basketball scene. So you had to expect that he would show up again but the the foreboding nature of this scene that mordo is now taking power away from sorcerers that there are too many sorcerers he decries we can think of how that could impact some of our other larger uh characters in the marvel cinematic universe yeah he's uh <laughs> you know, for all the failings of there not being the most vigorous villains uh, in this film, as I said before, the fact that now moving forward, we're preloaded for Mordo to to show up and to do evil things. Um, and we understand his backstory and we, and we understand, you know, in a very real sense. I mean, his 
his point of view and the the wrong he's trying to right we are sympathetic to even though we disagree with it um that's all that's all a bonus for moving forward particularly as we look ahead to where things are headed for the rest of phase three you know we have guardians next spring the guardian sequel next spring that'll obviously be for the most part in its own corner of the galaxy then we're back for spider-man which will be of much smaller uh galactic scale i would imagine than thor ragnarok with uh with them in a different part of the galaxy all to service for infinity war and the the following avengers sequel after that so don't forget black panther in the interim uh february of 2018 but you know that any moment they are going to begin principal photography on uh the first avengers infinity war film the second no longer carrying that name they're holding that back and that we've currently got the defenders shooting in manhattan i mean it's it's a great time as far as the overarching story and all the connections within this universe pete do you remember the good old days when it was like one avengers movie a year you know by avengers i mean one of these characters a year and then Ooh, maybe they're going to do two. It's so um, funny that you mentioned that because Captain America and um, Thor were on. There was a marathon yesterday on uh, one of the channels. And, you know, you end the, the Thor movie. Thor will appear in the Avengers. You end the, the Captain America movie, which was the same year. You know, you got one in May and you got one in July and people were losing their mind. Wow. You know, uh, in less than a year, they're all going to show up in one movie. And and now, I mean, you look at a year like we're going to have next year where there will be three of these movies then feeding into three the following year. Um, you add Ant-Man and the Wasp due in July of 2018. It's amazing how far we've come. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be, uh, you know, 10, 11 years into this and, and have, you know, 20 plus movies. The interesting thing, too, is, I think, to look at it from from a Disney point of view, which is they're looking to hit, like, if you do much more than three Marvel movies a year, you're probably at, you're probably risking killing the golden goose in terms right. of audience saturation. Or defini- diminishing returns. And also the fact that you have these different properties, you as a as a company, you can say, you know, it's not, everybody's not going to see all the superheroes fight again this movie three times a year the fact that you get to go the superhero fight in may and then we did like trippy magic and then we're going to space and then we're going to new york and then we're going to another spot in space and then we're going to africa that keeps the audience vibrant looking forward but even larger than beyond marvel you do three marvel a year you do a star wars a year you do a a pixar a year you do a disney animation a year and then you do a disney live action perhaps or a Disney live action their remake stock down. <laughs> That's the one thing I can't understand. Like do we my point being this, do we reach a point where the audience goer who is probably their prime like their prime audience goer is probably somebody who is like 12 to 22, somebody who in theory will go see the Marvel, you know, is old enough for the Marvel movies, is um, young enough or young at hard enough to go see the animated stuff or the live action remakes of animated stuff. Um, 
can you ask that person to go to see uh, something in the Disney brand more than 12 times a year? You probably can't. So at, which point, at what point do you say, you know what, man, we want to push... We want to push Captain Marvel 2 back a year because Black Panther is bigger than we thought. So we're going to rush that to next year. Like, you know, so Black Panther 2 comes, da 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 da. It, they are in a league of their own, you know. And then, Pete, by the way, I just want to point out, since we're in level seven here, uh, the multiverse. Does that mean, Pete, that this whole thing peters out 15 years from now with Marvel versus Star Wars versus <laughs> Spider Man versus X Men versus Mickey? versus yeah, no, Wally. And I object to the to the use of the verb Peters. <laughs> but let's talk about the the other connective tissue Matt Stan Lee not only in this film but his cameos for the next 3 uh Marvel movies all having already been filmed. The Stan Lee cameo in this movie uh delighted me of course every stanley cameo is delighting um the fact some more he, than others i mean some more the, than the others Deadpool yeah one just stands out you know though it's not <laughs> in this universe i don't know if we're ever going to equal that well side note yes i admit that the deadpool deadpool is not in this universe that said the fact that deadpool snuck in a uh a uh, ripped up decommissioned um helicarrier right they, they were reaching out they were that's all that's all i'll say there um, the fact that Stanley has three or four cameos already filmed makes me happy, except for then when you think about why they're having right. him film those cameos at a time, that's when it's like, oh, like that, that's just a little heartbreaking moment where you go, they want to plan, they want to have a handle on his final cameo, which is so soul crushingly sad. Um, I mean, given that we were at New York Comic Con for his final ever appearance yeah so you, you i i mean look uh the end comes to us all and and there's no sense uh there's no sense denying that but just the fact like good news they're planning ahead bad news the thought pete that we could watch we could watch a final cameo and and the end already having come to him that'll be how do you handle that moment you know i pete you handle that moment with with with, with grace and with sadness and with 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 the audience not pretending it doesn't exist also of note here matt that benedict cumberbatch appears in another role in this movie yes this is a factoid that i absolutely love the fact that there's a benedict cumberbatch cameo in the movie he does the voice and motion capture for dormammu um <laughs> that's just a super fun fact that he's on screen with himself kind of sorta yeah, he had played the dragon in the Little People movie and uh, had those chops, so they incorporated here, obviously, to better effect. Well, given that I haven't seen most of the... I've only seen the first Hobbit movie once, and I haven't seen the other two. No one else has. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, hey, you can't win them all unless you're Kevin Feige. Then you wake up every morning and say, I will crush everyone who gets in my way, and I will make another success. Every series has its prequel woes. Transmissions. Let's check the wire. <laughs> and Pete, uh, speaking of the wire, you might be listening to this saying, why are we able to listen to this? Pete, it's because of the generosity of those who have visited patreon.com slash fantastic geek, keeping the podcast back catalog and catalog of the future on the internet wires. 
um, because they've uh, sent a couple of bucks our way. So thank you so much, dear listeners who make that possible. And uh, also some fun, some fun goodies for those who do, uh, who do visit and who do, uh, who do donate. The generosity of our listeners knows no bounds. And there's a reason why we are able to bring you all 14 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films uh, in podcast form and every single show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, the recently launched Iron Fist, in addition to some other stuff that we're up to. With that, Pete, let's check the real wire. Had a wonderful conversation on Twitter with Amanda Joyce. That's Amanda Joyce 118 on Twitter. Uh, she said, Saw Doctor Strange today. Still doesn't beat my favorite Marvel movie, but the special effects are definitely uh, impressive. Uh, she said, by the way, Pete, her favorites are Cap 2, followed by Ant Man. Um, and I would agree. For me personally, it, it it's a solid movie. I said, to her and i said before on the podcast and i'll say again now b plus plus there's not kind of obvious areas where you say oh boy this didn't this didn't quite gel it works it works well to me it's just not it's not a it's not an instant classic but i look forward to to catching it on the on the rerun catching it when it hits netflix in a year that kind of thing it's a lot to ask that every entry they would make would become somebody's favorite uh, I can tell you that it's clearly my wife's favorite, but it's not because it's a Marvel movie because she really likes Cumberbatch. Um, but it's a situation where, you know, again, 14 films deep. How many of those have have been sequels? Some raising, uh, you know, the 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 franchise, some maybe not so much, but uh, super solid entry character that they're going to continue to build on for years to come. And you know what? I mean, I appreciate, too, that this isn't the same old thing. Uh, Kevin Feige said the best when he said, who wants to go see Iron Man 5? His point being, how is Iron Man 5 going to be that much more different than Iron Man 4 or 3 or 2 or 1? You quickly kind of run out of really super compelling stuff. Do you really want to see Captain America 8 where Captain America and good Bucky go on one last mission again for the fourth time? together as brother like at a certain point you go okay we need a new injection here so this wasn't my favorite you know what i sat in a really great movie theater and watched a fun story with great actors do a whole bunch of like trippy otherworldly magic effect stuff good time out at the movies doesn't need to be doesn't need to be the the soul touching experience to define a generation like spider-man homecoming has to be um it was a it was a nice time at the movies so pete as we look into the future because we can do that because we have the eye of what's it called um of course we'll be wrapping up luke cage later this week and then uh on to some star trek goodies ahead of agents of shield returning at the end of the month Providing, and then we're, of course the time does not end with the american election uh, that is true um and Pete, you know what would be really great is if there's some sort of lack of clarity on Election Day, so then we could go into, like, a time loop to continue to talk about this. Please, please, no. Um, Make make smart choices, voters. By the way, Pete, speaking of that election and other elections, should we tease here what's going to be on Fantastic Geek tomorrow, Monday? Uh, We will tease ever so slightly. Let's just say 
Um, we, we've already established in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that uh, President Obama is not president, although in our headcanon, the Fantastic Geek headcanon, he is running to uh, dethrone um, current president Matthew Ellis. So uh, we're going to get a little political within the realm of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it's not what you think. It's not what you think at all. That's going to post... I guess Pete will post it first to fantasticgeek.com and then we'll tweet about it Monday evening. We'll, it'll hit we'll, the we'll Facebook as well. So it'll be out there. Like it, retweet it, share it. Uh, yeah, we we are uh, happy with the way that it turned out and uh, we, we hope that you will be too. And Pete, people who like it can let us know across the various social media. I love. Let's start with your twitter presence what's your name on twitter how can people be in touch with you you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r 8560 followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter as looking back lost and i look forward to talking about things on looking back lost other than uh, politics in the near future uh you can be in touch about marvel stuff and tv stuff and pop culture stuff on the variety of fantastic geek outlets where we are fantastic geek with the ph that's fantasticgeek.com fantasticgeek at gmail.com fantasticgeek on instagram and twitter too but wait pete there's more facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph like it today we're a couple of likes away from a big milestone fun 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 well pete as mentioned before if you're listening to this on the pop culture podcast feed uh we'll be back wrapping up luke cage later this week on to some star trek after that then back to shield and whatnot so with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word it's not about you